Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Sasquatch is an important being among many tribes, often viewed as a protector or a caretaker of the land and is respected as such. American pop culture often reduces Sasquatch or Bigfoot to a kitschy character or mystery entertainment. A new art exhibit, Sensing Sasquatch, challenges visitors to put that behind them and view Sasquatch through a lens of five indigenous artists. We'll visit with some of these artists after National Native News. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. In the aftermath of Brian Smith's Anchorage murder trial, there are mixed emotions for the families and advocates of the two Alaska Native women he killed. As KMBA's Rhonda McBride reports, the trial may be over, but the need for change remains. It took the jury less than two hours to convict Brian Smith on all 14 counts in the deaths of Kathleen Henry and Veronica Abouchuk. Both women were from small coastal villages. They battled addiction, struggled to survive on the streets of Anchorage. Vulnerabilities, prosecutors say, Smith preyed upon. Abouchuk's sister, Margie Lestenkoff, says the unusually quick verdict came as a relief. We try to be strong in our heart, but still it hurts a lot. But we're happy that all the evidence were found. Evidence that was overwhelming. Much of it focused on an SD card with footage that gave police the key to the case. Labeled homicide at Midtown Marriott. Turned in by a sex worker who stole the killer's cell phone and copied footage of Kathleen Henry's last tortured moments alive. Only the jury, attorneys, and court staff saw the footage, but everyone else in the room heard the sound. Hearing the gasping for air and you die, you live. Golda Ingram, an advocate for Victims for Justice, said nothing in her experience prepared her for the trauma. But Ingram said it was healing to spend time with the Abouchuk family. She said their kindness and perseverance helped to restore the dignity of the victims. Lestenkoff says it was only fitting. My sister Veronica, she was a real nice person. She never cussed didn't have a mean bone in her in her soul. Abouchuk's daughter, Christy Grimaldi, says her mother's troubles began when she was molested by a priest as a child. I learned that much older, but after that, I looked at my mother very differently. Grimaldi's younger brother, Sean Henson, says all too many Native families have loved ones gone missing and murdered. We're one piece of that puzzle. Advocates for missing and murdered Indigenous people say the deaths of the two women forced the community to confront the horror of racial violence. The next step, they say, is to do something about it. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. The Iditarod Sled Dog Race gets underway this weekend with the ceremonial start in downtown Anchorage Saturday. The 1,000-mile race to Nome officially gets underway in Willow on Sunday. Last year, the top three finishers were all Alaska Native. Ryan Reddington, an Anupiat with roots in Unalakleet, is the defending champ. His grandfather, Joe Reddington, was one of the founders of the Iditarod. Also returning, Pete Kaiser, a Yupik from Bethel, who took first place in 2019. Last year's third-place finisher, 
Richie Deal and Athabaskan from Antioch did not enter this year's Iditarod. The race alternates between a southern and northern route. This year, 38 mushers are set to run the northern path. The race in recent years has averaged less than nine days to finish. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm announced funding for projects on tribal lands during her remarks at the Tribal Clean Energy Summit held this week in California. Some include solar projects with the Navajo Nation and Hopi Tribe in the southwest and a hydro-solar project with the Yakima Nation in Washington State, where solar panels will be positioned over irrigation canals, preserving environmental and cultural resources. Granholm announced more than $200 million in funding for 12 tribal projects. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support from AmeriCorps VISTA, whose members serve to alleviate poverty while earning money for college and gaining professional skills. Rewarding service opportunities can be found at A-M-E-R-I-C-O-R-P-S dot G-O-V slash V-I-S-T-A. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov slash IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Sasquatch is elusive. It might come down from the mountains, walking nine feet tall on two legs, or watch you from behind trees. It's never exposed long enough for a reliable glimpse, much less a picture. Sasquatch encounters have become a fixture of American mystery and speculation. But long before the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin home video footage and the 1972 movie Legend of Boggy Creek, Tribes have acknowledged their own Sasquatch-like beings with admiration and respect. A new art exhibit at the High Desert Museum in Oregon aims to convey that rich cultural connection with interpretations and stories by five indigenous artists. We'll talk with some of them today about the Sensing Sasquatch exhibition and their connections and interpretations of Sasquatch. Please join us by sharing your tribal understanding of Sasquatch or any other insights you'd like to add to the conversation. Our studio line is open now, and the number is 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking now from British Columbia in Canada is artist and carver Rocky LaRock. He is Chehalis Coast Salish. Good morning, Rocky. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. It's wonderful to have you on the show. In Northfield, Minnesota, we're joined by Frank Buffalohide. He is a painter, mixed-media sculptor, and an art writer. And he is from the Onondaga Nation, Beaver Clan, and Nez Perce. Hello, Frank, and welcome back to Native America Calling. Howdy, howdy. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good to have you. And from Toppenish, Washington, we have artist Hollyanna Cougar Tracks, Dakota Little Bull. She's Yakima, Nez Perce, Cayuse, and Cree. 
Hello, Hollyanna, and good morning to you, too. Shachmanski, good to be here. It's good to have all of you on the show. And let's start off with just the names. There are so many different names for who we call Sasquatch, not only among Native people in North America, but cultures all over the world. Rocky, I want to begin with you. How about your people? What's the preferred name? Well, here in our village, um, we uh, call him Saskits. Um, at, uh, there's quite a bit of different uh, elders in our village that have uh, different pronunciations as well. We have a lot of uh, different Sasquatch songs. We have uh, a lot of uh, groups that uh, perform, sing and dance. Like he's our, he's our baby, he's our world, uh, he's our everything. And uh, we hold him in uh, like the highest uh, respect. Here in our village, even our uh, our emblem, our logo for our village is, is the Sasquatch. And, uh, yeah, he's just, uh, he's everything to us here in Jehalis. Now, has Sasquatch always had this, this important uh, pivotal role within your people, or is this something that maybe has developed in later years? Oh, no, this, uh, this goes back, way back. Like, uh, my grandmother, she would... Uh, she would tell us stories that uh, happened to her mother and her grandmother. Um, yeah, he's uh, been a big part of our culture and I guess our society for hundreds of years. And uh, we still uh, teach our next generations of uh, the importance of uh, how to respect him, how to uh, put him above and first before everything and anyone else. Because if you see the Sasquatch here, it's because he let you see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rocky, Sasquatch such a huge figure, like with regard to pop culture and entertainment. There's movies, been TV shows, uh, bumper stickers, T-shirts. You see him everywhere. How much of that sensationalized version of Sasquatch do you think stems from, from tribal cultural knowledge, what, like what your people share? Um, actually, they don't even come close. They don't even compare. We have a whole new perspective, a whole different outlook than the society in the, the white way, the white system, as whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, they have all kinds of shows and uh, of looking for him and banging on trees and hollering around for him when... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we don't look at it like that at all. Like it's just uh, it's like watching cartoons to us, watching those uh, Bigfoot hunters and looking for them. And uh, no, he's uh, he's um, we look at him way different. He's a uh, very very highly respected, and he's our uh, he's our world. He's our transformer. He's our shapeshifter, and uh, that's uh, what I represent in my art now. Is um, I carved my main subjects are Sasquatch transforming and shape-shifting. Well, let's talk about your, in your, you've carved a mask for this new exhibit. Uh, Tell us about the mask and and how it uh, creates a traditional understanding of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Well, um, a couple of years ago, I had an art show out at uh, the Reach Gallery in Abbotsford and all of the um, curators there they um, took about a dozen of my pieces 
and they were all mostly Sasquatches, and they painted the, the whole gallery just as dark green, and then they hung up all these masks, and they made it, like, really dark, but they put one little spotlight on each one of the masks, and they put on this eerie music, this flute music, and this powwow drumming and singing, and it just, uh, I don't know, I guess uh, the Sasquatch opened the door for, for me. It's like... Uh, with his transformation of shape-shifting and uh, becoming and being whatever he or she wants to be, whatever, wherever, that gave me, uh, like, you know, I don't know if you heard the story of Thalhoya. We call her the Mosquito Lady here in our village. And it's a story that my grandmother, Dolly Felix, she would uh, tell us this when we were kids. She said there was an old lady that lived way up in the mountains she uh, would come down just before it got dark and she would steal children that were still outside and she would put them in her basket and bring them up the mountains and she would uh, cook them and eat them. Well, Bohuya could transform and shapeshift and we believe that that was Sasquatch transforming and shapeshifting and becoming that mosquito lady. Well, long story short, Bohuya took a bunch of kids, took them back up the mountain in her basket, made a fire, and uh, the kids pushed her in the fire, and she turned into the mosquitoes. So as they say, that's where all the mosquitoes came from, but uh, mm. deep down there's a, there's a meaning that uh, I think she was just trying to scare the hell out of us to uh, <laughs> make us come in the house when it was getting dark or something, I don't know. Yeah. Uh. That's a good story, Rocky. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's also talk. Let's talk a little bit about your personal connection to, to Sasquatch and, and any encounters that you've had that you want to talk about. Um, actually, uh, about thirty years ago, I went. Uh, I was uh, sick and tired of waking up sick and tired, so I uh, I initiated myself into the longhouse. Well, I went there looking for help and guidance and direction to, you know, help me to transform and shift into somebody different. Well, I was initiated, and they taught us that you, every morning when you get up, you save a little portion of each meal that you eat, and in the morning, you go out into the forest or down by the river, and you take some of that food and you leave it on a stump or leave it on a, a rock or at the beach on the shore or whatever. And you face east and you pray and you give thanks for everything that you have, for uh, the new life, the new beginning, for waking up your spirit. So I was out doing that one day. And then on my way back home, all of a sudden this thing just came whipping in front of me and it was up in the air about, I don't know, 30 feet. And it was like as big as a bus. And it was invisible. You can see it. It kind of looked like heat waves. You know that uh, show Predator? It kind of looked like that up in the forest and the trees. And I was just in shock. I could not move. And I was looking at this thing, and it was just radiating with uh, energy. But I was froze there for like 10 minutes just watching this thing. And this thing's just like it was... Uh, hoovering back and forth watching me. And then all of a sudden, it just took off like a, like a hummingbird or a bee or a dragonfly. 
through the through the trees, and it must have bumped a rotten old tree or something, because that big tree just fell, and it made this biggest crashing sound, and it just scared the living crap out of me, and I took off. I ran all the way home. But yeah, that was the first encounter with that big guy. But it was like, it was an... Inv- I, I, I mean, I can totally visualize what you're describing from the Predator movie where, like, it's almost like a mirage, like the air's kind of rippling, but you didn't actually see, or, or you did see. I mean, what what it, did you, I mean, a face or limbs, anything like that? Uh, nothing. No, nothing at all. The only thing I ever came close to seeing was uh, I was doing the same thing. I was out in the forest uh, acknowledging spirit, and on my way home... I looked down on the snow, and um, there was a, a great big track. And I thought, oh, maybe it just uh, it fell off a branch, and it's shaped like a, like, a, like a footprint. So I stepped back, and I looked. There was another one. I looked way ahead of me, and there was tra- Sasquatch tracks walking in front of me. So I turned around, and I looked, and I followed them back where they came from. And it was right from that stump where I left that food. And oh, I looked geez. all over the place, and I didn't see nothing else. And I went, oh, my God. <laughs> so I followed them again. <laughs> I mean, I followed them home, and they walked right right up to the, on the side of my house here, right in front of the road, in the front yard, walked across the front yard, and back into the forest on the other side of the house. Oh, wow. Okay. Rocky, this is intense. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and and talk more with Rocky and our other guests. We're talking about Sasquatch today. Legends, stories, personal experiences. Treaties give tribes on the east coast of Canada rights to fish for a very valuable commodity known as elvers. They are young eels, popular in Asian markets. The trouble is, poaching and other conservation concerns are threatening the eel's survival. We'll look at the increasing tensions around the elver industry on the next Native America Calling. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online master class in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling, and today we are talking about Native views of Bigfoot or Sasquatch. A new art exhibit explores Native interpretations, stories, and connections to this being, and we want to hear yours too. Call us at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. If you've ever seen Sasquatch, if you have a story that you want to share with us, any any relations or connections to your tribal heritage and culture, and you're comfortable sharing that information on the air, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Our next guest, Frank Buffalo Hyde, is in Northfield, Minnesota. He's a painter and a mixed-media sculptor. He also has one of the art pieces on display in this new exhibit, Sensing Sasquatch and Frank, let's talk a little bit about your background. You've referenced Sasquatch before in a book you illustrated called Chasing Bigfoot, 
What's your artistic inspiration for Sasquatch? Hi, uh, <clears throat> thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I was involved in um, a children's book uh, a couple years ago called Chasing Bigfoot. And um, I had a great time sort of going off of the text of the book and sort of reference photos. Um, but for me, artistically, um, I've been interested in uh, cryptozoology, uh, the study of unknown animals. Um, my older sister, Zena, was also into all that stuff when I was growing up. So I would be um, the annoying little brother that would go into her room and go through her things and, you know, play her guitar and turn on her stereo. So I've been sort of unofficially researching um, things of that nature almost my entire life. And so um, it did bleed into my practice my art practice over the years and i've i've created a few paintings that have sort of um french impressionist impressionist backgrounds with bigfoot sort of strolling across the uh the canvas and then um for my solo exhibition at the museum of indian arts and culture in santa fe i did a i did a, a beautiful landscape of the aspens turning and then i kind of um hid like bigfoot in between the trees sort of walking you know through the trees across the road so those are a couple iterations that have um, presented themselves throughout my, you know, creative practice. Interesting, Frank. And now let's talk about this piece that you have in the Sensing Sasquatch exhibition. I know it's very large. It's multimedia. It's got sound. It's got uh, different dimensions. Uh, also, is it any in any way like is it intimidating? or threatening, or is it more similar to what Rocky described, more of like uh, a traditional healer or some sort of a leader? Yeah, no, it's definitely not, uh, it's not threatening or ominous. I think, you know, when initial talks were of having an exhibition with Sasquatch, um, we wanted to make sure that the, the tone wasn't, um, you know, menacing. And definitely in, in my piece, I wanted to be sure that it wasn't. Uh, I wanted to invoke to av avoid the the monster um, connotation, um, you know. Like, uh, and I, I just really wanted to make something that was sort of out of my comfort zone, but also, you know, pushing what people see at art shows and definitely, you know, indigenous art shows or, or museum shows. So I think. I mean, I hope um, I'll give people. A conversation starter and, and, and a, a chance to, to sort of maybe experience something they weren't expecting. And um, so, so yeah, it's just, uh, I figured if, you know, if you're going to do a show about Sasquatch, you might as well go for it. So mm -hmm. um, we went for it and uh, hopefully, you know, people, people can get it. And, and the sound element, please describe how that's incorporated into the sculpture. Yeah, there's um, there's a sound element with um, I'm not sure if you know of the term infrasound, um, but uh, a lot of uh, Sasquatch encounters, Bigfoot encounters, describe a few things. Like you know, one is the smell. You know, you 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 smell the you smell them before you see them or hear them, and then also they report like having this sort of unsettling like um, unsettling tone that almost vibrates them on the inside and it makes them feel kind of uh, uneasy or disorientated. So um, 
we uh, talking with the proprietors at the museum, the people that were um, doing setting up the exhibition, we came up with um, a couple different sounds that'll be um, in that vein. Honest, you know, you know. Obviously, we're not trying to like hurt anybody or destroy anybody, but to give them that that sort of uh, um, sensorial experience while they're mm-hmm. at the exhibit. Rocky, back to you. Uh... Frank talking about this vibration that kind of sounds similar to what you experienced with that energy, that invisible energy that you saw hovering above, uh, above the ground. Uh, first of all, hey Frank, uh, thanks for uh, bringing that up. That, uh, totally, uh, resonates with what I, I felt with what I was went through with what I witnessed. It just totally, it was, uh, yeah, I, I can totally, uh, associate with what you said there yeah because that's exactly what it was it was just like a um i did some background work checking up on that itself and there's a lot of animals that do have that and can do that they see uh, elephants and giraffes and um dolphins and stuff like that they have that too where they can just uh resonate that um that sound and they can stun their prey that's what uh I think that's what it did to me because I could not move. I was stunned. I was just in shock. It was just, yeah, it's a, I'm a, thanks, Frank, for that. That was a, just reminded me. I'm like all sweaty right now just thinking about it. <laughs> well, Frank, back to you. Um, tell us a little bit more about the meaning of, of Sasquatch in your culture and just how Sasquatch is viewed to your people, both historically and in contemporary times. Um, well, we 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 don't have a word for Sasquatch in our language, and you know I was talking with my sister Zena. She's a a, a language teacher, um, so I did have I did an interview with this podcast last year or the year before, and they're they're all about like paranormal experiences and cryptids and all that kind of stuff. And he was interviewing people that you know were from the Northeast and the woodlands, and were asking them about their experiences and. I was telling him about um, certain things that I've seen on on my reservation, um, on you know behind our house and 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 exploring the woods and stuff. And he kept trying to like pin me down, saying so. He kept like consciously bringing the conversation back specifically to Bigfoot. It's like so. You think it was Bigfoot? And then <laughs> it was Bigfoot, right? And I was just like, I, I could never say like you know absolutely yeah it was Bigfoot, but you know. Um, so I've never seen, like, I've never had a, a sighting, but I've experienced quite a lot of other things on my reservation and in the woods. And I spent a lot of time out in the wilderness as a kid. And then as a teenager, you know, um, in the woods at night also. So um, out past dark when you're not really supposed to be out. But um, <laughs> so I've uh, I've experienced some things and definitely, you know, our our um, attitude towards the things that really can't be explained that we know are exist. Um, we, we interpret them as medicine and, you know, um, there's good and bad medicine, uh, you know, you know, there's always that balance and there's medicine that can be manipulated, manipulated. So, um, but, you know, I, I have had some experiences, but I can't definitely say, yeah, it was a, you know, it was a Bigfoot, um, experience or a Sasquatch experience, but I've had, uh, experience you know with medicine and some of the stuff that I'm, I'm not really comfortable like talking about sure sure well i'm glad you mentioned this though 
Frank, because I, I mean, I'm just thinking of, of our listeners today and some folks are going to listen to this show and think, you know, this is awesome. This is cool. We're learning about history and culture and native spirituality. And then there are other people who are going to listen to the show and they're going to be like, ah, oh, I've got to see it. I've got to see it to believe it. Right. There's always that group of people. So when you mention it from this standpoint of medicine, I, I think that makes it very relatable to many people on many levels. And, um, you know, when you have conversations with folks about your arbor, I mean, anybody who, who maybe has seen you working on some of your exhibits or seen, you know, some of your, the book you illustrated, I mean, what's their feedback? Uh, it's, you know, generally pretty positive. It's, you know, it's, um, people are pretty supportive of, um, you know, my work. My work is not really specifically geared towards the fine art collector or the, uh, fine art curator. Um, my work is definitely for native people. Um, you know, there's a lot of in there and people have described like indigenous Easter eggs in my work, but it's, you know, a lot, there's a lot of like shared experience that, um, people can, can extrapolate from the work that I do. And, um, but you're always going to get, you know, the other people that are like, Oh, wow. Um, my daughter could probably make that or I could probably do that. And, uh, you know, more power to them if they can. That's an interesting perspective, Frank. Um, Frank, when you when you set out to, to, to illustrate or create a sculpture like this of Bigfoot, and, and again, going back to this whole concept of, of this being a type of medicine and interpreting it as such, I mean, What's the what's what's kind of your strategy? How does this how do these pieces unfold, and, and what's your process for for creating? Uh, well, usually I I'll have a general idea, and then I'll freak out, and then I'll be like, "This is a horrible idea! Like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> you shouldn't be. You know, you're never gonna do. You're never gonna pull it off. It's gonna be horrible." And then you go back and forth between that and being like, "I'm a genius. Um, I'm totally gonna pull this off." And then it kind of goes back and forth between that you know, the whole time until it's done. And then um, hopefully if you just like, I, I just trust myself and keep sort of adding and subtracting things to it. And then hope, you know, hopefully things uh, work themselves out. But I, I kind of creatively, that's kind of how I approach everything. It's like, no matter how long I've been doing something, I always sort of approach everything organically and then allow for that, um, that area of experimentation. And then also that area of like, um, like, I, I don't know, it's like sort of second guessing yourself because I think if you're an artist and you know what's going to happen every time, all the time, I mean, to me, that sounds super boring. So like, I'm always trying to add to my process or, or take things away from my process. And I never, ever like, um, reject a piece or I don't follow my art compass, um, because it's not a Frank Buffalo Hyde piece. Like I don't, those are limitations I don't put on myself. It sounds like your art is very much of a journey for you when you embark on, on these exhibits and these pieces. And Frank, how did you get connected with the Sensing Sasquatch exhibition? Uh, well, I was in a group show um, uh, two years ago. I think it was called Imagine a World. And it was, um, it was right after I was wrapping up a project with uh, MTV and the Smithsonian Channel. So I flew from that project to Bend, Oregon, and and um, worked on that and did the programming for that. And so when we were there, we were just sort of 
offhandedly talking about doing a Bigfoot exhibit. And I was like, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I swore I didn't say absolutely, but I was like, yes, <laughs> that's a great idea. And so I just kept, um, you know, whoever I was talking to while I was there, I just kept mentioning it over and over again. And then, um, and then they contacted me like a year and a half later and said, you know, we're, uh, we're going to, we're going to do that. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. Cause to my knowledge, I don't think any, anyone has done like a comprehensive, uh, museum exhibit like this where where it's where it's of a like um you know a respectful serious tone and then it's not like uh sort of like the route 66 kind of uh tourist trappy kind of things but right um but yeah so that's that's kind of how i got involved and you know i really didn't have to like overextend myself or go out of like my wheelhouse of what i already do in my my own practice like it's you know the show falls nicely into what I do anyway. The way that I pushed my way out of my comfort zone was the incorporating the different elements of sound and light and um, sculpture. Now, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw online that you uh, did some artwork with regard to the creature in, in the Loch Ness Lake in Scotland. Is that right? Yeah. Like early on in my career, yeah, I... I did a show called uh, Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and Other Oddities. I think it was like a long time ago. I won't say how long ago, but yeah, I did a, a, I had a solo show like in Santa Fe um, in regards to that. And you know, I think that subject matter appeals to a lot of people, like professional people, because in Santa Fe you're so close to like Los Alamos and and Intel in Albuquerque, and like all of these scientists like were really supportive of that exhibition. That was like one of my first successful um, shows that, uh, you know, people from all walks of life, you know, young people starting their collections, old retired professionals, people that were in the medical industry. Like um, people always ask me like, who's your collector? Like who, who's buying your work? And it's like kind of everybody. It's not like one, one type of people or persons that are interested in what I do. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank, thanks a lot for, for sharing uh, your expertise and your artistic journey. And let's bring Hollyanna into the conversation now. And Hollyanna, again, thank you for joining the show. And you are also one of the artists uh, that's contributed to this new exhibit. And you also refer to yourself as a Sasquatch protector. What exactly does that mean? Um, researchers hate me. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Um, if I find anything, uh, prints, um, something that's suspected to be anything Bigfoot or Sasquatch related, uh, I destroy it. And that's just my job. Um, in our tradition and culture, I am a medicine dance singer. And we believe that Istieha uh, or Kwikwiai in our language um, they're enunciated differently depending on what band you're from, but they are what we refer to as the Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Interesting. Interesting. So researchers, they want, they want proof, right? They want bones. They want DNA samples, but, but you're not going there. That's not your thing, nope. right? You're going to protect them. No. All yeah. Right. We believe that they are the protector of all living things. In our stories, um, they protect 
the air, the land, the plants, the animals, the foods, the insects, every living, every living thing, water, everything that we need to live. They are the protectors of basically the environment. And we believe that when the last one goes, so too does everything else. We're talking now with Hollyanna Cougar Treks, Dakota Little Bull. She's up in Toppenish, Washington. She's one of the featured artists in this new Sensing Sasquatch exhibit. It's at the High Desert Museum in Bend, Oregon. And we're going to talk more with Hollyanna and our other guests about Sasquatch and about their art and other issues related to this uh, spiritual being that is so prevalent in so many Native American cultures. And if you'd like to share your insights, if you have a story to tell about Sasquatch, give us a call, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Support by Archaeology Southwest. Did you know almost all major archaeological sites in the Southwest have been looted or vandalized? Looting and vandalism impact indigenous people, past, present, and future. Every day, countless Native American cultural items are lost or damaged forever through looting and vandalism. Federal and tribal laws protect archaeological resources. More information about ending archaeological resource crime and how to submit a tip at savehistory.org and on social media at Save History. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tomorrow, the High Desert Museum in Bend, Oregon, opens their new exhibit called Sensing Sasquatch. It focuses on interpretations of Sasquatch by five Native artists. What's the name for Sasquatch among your tribal people? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. 1 we've got a caller on the line right now, Chanupa. He's listening to... Keeley Radio in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa, and what can you tell us about Bigfoot today? I'll tell you something that's extraordinary, and me and my brother, Louis Richard Janice Sr., still have him on a disc we've had. But almost 11 years ago, in our language, we call him Sitanka. Okay? That's the name. And there was also a warrior named Sitanka who was murdered down in Wounded Knee. But this this Sasquatch guy was walking in our, our community of Slim Buttes. And people didn't believe these ranchers. So we went out there just to check it out, see if this kind of understanding was true. Because the size of him is, is true. We've seen him. So my brother had this camera filming him in. So he walked from that bluff, and there's some um, pine brush, okay, before they caught fire. He walked about good 10, 15 to 25 feet, and he stood there, and he looked like that, and he kept walking. Then he went into the shrub, and he disappeared. So we laid tobacco down. And if you... Remember, there's a a group called uh, Finding Bigfoot. They had a series. They came here, and here they found two of his footprints, and they put um, moles, you know, that uh, uh, ceramic moles and stuff, and they Mm -hmm. found his feet. In in our culture, they say he's a Lakota, but because we were um, brought out from the Buffalo people, that's who he was, but he was into a man figure. He has the hump of the buffalo, like the buffalo on the back. 
Well, I heard that's a story that's still going. And then they say, when you see him, drop tobacco and leave some food there. Because Isha Hanel Wakampi, that's why they're here, to look after us. And so when we see that, that's what we do. But me and my brother Lewis uh, have that on, on video. So it was a beautiful thing. And we put the date on it, too. So some people want to talk to us about it. Hey, man, we'll show you. And when you show you, you're going to be like, whoa. It freaks everybody out. But that's what I wanted to contribute. He was cited here on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation 11 years ago. Back to you and Wopila for listening to us from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Chanupa. Appreciate that call. And uh, Hollyanna, back to you. Uh, our caller, Chanupa, has uh, a CD. But, uh, again, that's something that you just avoid, right? Any kind of video evidence or anything like that, you're not going to go ahead and, and save something like that, are you? Nope. Uh... I'm, uh, by the way, my son is uh, Wilson from Pine Ridge, and one of my good friends is Maxine Janice from back there, too. So I've been back that way. But um, no, I am a former police officer, uh, both on the Warm Springs Reservation and the Yakima Reservation here. Uh, I've worked in public safety my whole entire life, and so very often I was the first person there and would sweep away the evidence or burn it or whatever I had to do to avoid any further evidence um, of our environmental protector. Well, let's talk, Hollyanna, about your piece in the exhibit. It's a little bit different from the, from the other artists. Uh, please describe it for our listeners. So originally I, I told myself, because the first sculpture I made was over 14 feet tall, and that's how they found me was through that piece. That was a Bigfoot piece on display in Seattle. And I told myself I was never going to do that again. <laughs> and, well, that didn't happen. The, the first sculpture was about eight feet tall. And due to technical difficulties and two, two cats at home, it imploded. And so I had to start all over. And so the second piece, I miscalculated somewhere and she ended up being over 10 feet tall and the reason why I made her the way she's made um and it this goes exactly to what Frank and Rocky were talking about um as a medicine dance singer we believe that we have more than than the five senses that the Chiapo people or you know the scientific people call call the five senses without um, giving away tradition or culture, I refer to it either as cultural noise or cultural vibrations. Um, it's something we teach our kids when they're, before they're even born as mothers. And, you know, when they're talking about that sound or feeling those waves or vibrations um, or seeing them, um, it's something that we see every single time when we go like on fasting ceremonies you leave behind the present and food and water and you open yourself up spiritually to those other senses. And to me, I think why we as Native people are more hypersensitive to that is because we still practice little noise or those cultural, cultural vibrations. And they know what I'm talking about. I've been to Onondaga, I've been to Salish, you know, when you're in the smokehouse or when you're in the longhouses and you can hear it and you can feel it from a distance. That's kind of what I'm talking about. And 
visually speaking, when you when you go fasting, you know, people say, oh, the scientific behind it is because you haven't had water in a couple of days. But when your body's used to fasting like that, that doesn't always happen. And so it's kind of like the heat that you see off of the, the, the land. When it's really, really hot, you can see that, like, I don't know, like waves. Right, right. That's what Rocky was kind of describing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, that's just something that, you know, you don't realize it. You can still feel it in your bones. You can still feel it in your blood. You can still, like, hear it. But that's because we practice our traditions and culture, and I think that's why we're a little more sensitive to this than other people. Hollyanna, so our, our caller... the way I did. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, our caller, Chanupa, mentioned uh, having medicine, you know, if you come across a, a, a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch out in, in the wilderness or in the mountains or elsewhere... What do you recommend for listeners if they come across a sighting? I always carry medicine with me as well. I always leave offerings, whether it's, you know, tobacco or food, you know, or things that they might use like thread or, you know, something that's useful to them and or something personal from you, like, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of Native women, our bling isn't diamonds and gold. Our bling is like wampum and elk teeth and, you know, conch shells, those kind of things. You know, you have to think about what's important to them and, you know, what's, what do they need? Mm-hmm. It's not about what you want. It's about what, what do they need. A gift is what you're describing. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Let's take another caller, Jerry, who is listening in Fond du Lac, Minnesota, on station WGZS. Hello, Jerry. Welcome to Native America Calling. Good afternoon. Great to have you, you on the me? show, Jerry. Oh, yeah. My name, real name is Shamaganis. It means soldier. I'm from Fond du Lac uh, Indian Reservation. It's right on the tip of Lake Superior, 30 miles west. And I just happened to turn the radio on and start listening. And I just wanted our own, our our people, you know, our our people who are affiliated, our our intertribal people, and all of that. Yes, he's alive and well up here. He's been up here for eons, and we do take care of him. He takes care of us. Uh, we don't bother him. They don't bother us. And they know if you're out there. And, and for bad purposes, they, they'll they stay away from you or they'll create havoc with you. Uh, you got to be clean of heart, clean of mind when you go out if you're going to go searching for them. I heard people talk and I've heard things on TV and these squat shows and everything like that. And He's here. He's here. I'm 73 years old right now and... I'm a retired health education teacher, 26 years of teaching on a reservation. And, uh, yeah, I've seen them. Shamarganish, that's a, a good call. Appreciate you calling in and uh, sharing your insights and, and your experiences with Sasquatch. And, Hollyanna, back to you. I, you know, I, we keep hearing these recurring themes of um, – you know, respect and honor and awareness. And I want to ask you also, I mean, is it possible amongst your people or others in any way to to communicate with a Sasquatch or have any kind of a conversation? We believe that they understand our language. And so 
um, when you go out, you talk to them in the language, which I always do. And um, in in our way, I carry one of the songs that speaks to them. And, you know, it's it's something that I only share when I'm up in the woods or, you know, doing my own thing like fasting. But yeah, the elders were talking about it recently. Um, I've been in ceremony all week and the elders were talking about it because they know the song that I sing. It comes from Isvieha. And, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit. I didn't tell the whole story, but I alluded to like the basic facts when um, Red Earth Uncovered interviewed me for their show. And I talked about the like the very first story or my very first interaction that I recall, but I didn't recall it until I was an adult. It happened to me when I was a kid. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of, it's part of our tradition and culture. So you have to respect it. You have to cherish it and you have to protect it from the outside who want to take it from us because they're always trying to take, you know, things from us, you know, whether it's our medicines or, our teachings. I mean, we got pretendians out there. Mm-hmm. And so it's our job to protect our ways of life. Haliana, what continues to amaze me is just how prevalent Sasquatch legends are among tribal people all across North America. And, and, and what do you hear from other folks, from other tribes outside of your own? I know you went down to South America and you heard stories of, of Sasquatch there. Yeah, with the Aymara and the Mapuche people, they were telling me that um, one one elder, he was close to 90, I think 98 years old when I met him, and he was from high up in the mountains, and he had heard that there were Indios down in town, and so he he came down, and he was talking through an interpreter to me, and he was telling me stories and legends and it was amazing to me because he was telling me he went down to the creek to go fish because they're right there on close to the Pacific Ocean. And so he said he was at the mouth of the river. And we were both laughing because the same thing happened to me. Is I turned around to go get my fish and they were missing. <laughs> <laughs> and he was telling me, oh, yeah, da, 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 as they were trying to really explain in their language what they called him. And I can't pronounce it. But basically, he was showing me the size of his feet with his arms and pointing to his foot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Istieha or Kwikwiai. <laughs> and the interpreter was like, I don't know how to interpret that. Haliana, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I'm hearing, too, then, um, perhaps in some ways, Sasquatch can be a trickster then. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I've had... I've had my deer disappear um, as, you know, cause I'm only five foot three, so I, I, I can't pack very much. And so I'd have to take a little bit at a time. And when I'm packing, when I'm hunting or fishing or gathering. So I usually have to make multiple trips. And the one thing that I was talking about was um, how they, you know, they kind of like take advantage of you sometimes. And my uncle used to call them my brothers and sisters oh, your brothers and sisters are messing with our stuff again. Go tell them, knock it off. They're your brothers and sisters. They talk to you all the time. And But he'd be talking to me in the language. And I was training for um, biathlon. 
for cross-country skiing and shooting, I wanted to try out for the Olympics when I was in high school. And I was way up there in the mountains, and there was no tracks. I drove as far as I could, and then I got out, and I cross-country skied where nobody was skiing. And I had my headphones on, and I was carrying my boombox on my back. You know, and back in the 80s, those things were monstrous. (laughs) And I was getting hit in the head with snowballs and pine cones. (laughs) And next thing I know, I just started throwing snowballs and pine cones back. And that went on for I don't know how long. But I just was playing, you know, and they were playing with me. And that that happens quite a bit. And, you know, my, my family and my friends and my coworkers are all like, Go tell them to leave us alone. That's your brothers and sisters. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee, that's another good story. Another good story. We're going to have to wrap up the show here in just a short moment. But, uh, Holliana, I'm going to give you the last word on the show. And anything else you want to share with our listeners regarding Sasquatch today? Protect them. Um, that's our job. That's our tradition. That's our culture. And don't be sharing any outside with any outside people like scientists or anything like that, any of our trade secrets. And Istieha is one of them. That's one of our, our protectors, one of our elders, our family. It's our job to protect the land and the water and all living things. All right. Thank you, Hollyanna. And jeez, uh, my grandma used to say that. Just nobody needs to know this stuff when it came to tradition and stuff, spirituality. Nobody needs to know. Nobody needs to know. Just keep it yourself. We're out of time, folks. Uh, big thank you to our guest today, Frank Buffalo Hyde, Holly Ann Little Bull, and Rocky LaRock. Hope you'll join us next week for another lineup of conversations about indigenous issues and topics. We start out with a look at a little-known commodity that is sparking fishing rights debates in eastern Canada and the United States. Our executive producer is Art Hughes. Our producers are Andy Murphy and Sol Traverso. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Show McPolin is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Native Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. Antonia Gonzalez is the anchor for National Native News. Charles Sather is our chief operations officer. The president and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm Sean Spruce. Enjoy your weekend. The Indian Arts and Crafts Act protects authentic American Indian and Alaska Native artists and craftspeople and their art and craftwork. Under the act, it is illegal to market art or craftwork misrepresented as American Indian, Indian, Native American, or Alaska Native made, or as the product of a particular Indian tribe. Reporting potential act violations can be done at doi.gov IACB or at one art fake Support provided by Indian Arts and Crafts Board. Hey, Shay, it's February and American Heart Month. Tonya Yuyana, Itonan, Ikonikinate, Tonyam Semakwe Kokshunawa, Ike Naweaka, Takwenulawa, Konayoea, Lesna Ketonyam Asashina, Tonyante Kunashna, Atekana. Yam Tonako Mos Awa Shuwa Tuta, Easton Healthcare, Takafinawa, and Ta Easton, one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six Napena Akanatu. Look at sentence for Medicare, Medicaid services, Tonapen and Itulakanawe, Elakwa.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.